Now, at the end of the story of Job, chapter 42, we're coming to the last chapter now, and we see chapter 42, verses 1 to 6, and we've got to read it to get the conclusion here. And after all that his friend said, and all that Elihu said, and all that God said, chapter 42, 1, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and we're coming to one of the big characters of the Bible, the man Job, the man who is renowned for patience, for enduring suffering in hope. That's the question. Do we despair in trouble, or do we find comfort and hope? And I trust that today that you will be filled with hope. That's my prayer for you, to be brought into a state of hopefulness even in the trials of life. Let's go to the message today on Job. Job, in the fog of it all, was able to get some light. If you look at chapter 12 and verse 6, and he said, the tabernacles of robbers prosper. The mafia that robbed the bank, they're living on the benefits of robbery and they're prospering. Look at the cars they're driving. Look at the houses they're living in. And they're wicked robbers. They prosper. And Job said, your thinking can't be straight. It can't be right that, that, that the godly always prosper. We see the wicked prospering in this world, and that's a problem to us. And the real question is not, why do Christians suffer setbacks? The bigger question would be, why do the wicked seem to prosper in this world? That's a harder question. And so the prosperity gospel that these men brought is certainly not true. Now, Paul the Apostle addressed this in 1 Timothy 6 and in the verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and the verse 5. He's talking here about false teachers. He's talking about those who teach otherwise. And he says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Now, you need to mark that in your Bible, because let me tell you, this thinking is in every one of us, that if we love God, we walk with God, and we work hard for God, that everything's going to prosper. Gain. That's the, that's the thinking of the ungodly man supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. We shouldn't even be in their fellowship. So what is the answer for the Christian? Verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, 
and is certain that we can carry nothing out. And I just wonder, did Paul get that thinking from Job? Job said, naked came I into this world, and naked will we leave this world with nothing. And then in verse 9, it says, they that be, will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And so instead of the Bible saying that God wants to make you rich and prosperous, the Bible warns us that such thinking could be a snare that the devil will bring you down. Now, let me tell you, this prosperity gospel is alive and well in the world today, and there are any number of TV evangelists, and they make this their ministry. And they are on the television, radio, and various means of media, and they're global, and they're multi-million dollar ministries, and they prosper. I better put the quotes up on that one. They prosper because of their message, God wants to make you rich. Let me quote to you what a few of these TV evangelists say. Kenneth Copeland He says, you can call on your tithing and sowing over the years. You have a right to it. That's like a phone call I got from a lady one time. She had, her husband had donated to uh, our church and to the building fund. And after his passing, she phoned up and she wanted all the money back again. Thankfully, she didn't ask for interest on it. But this thinking of Kenneth Copeland was, what you give to God now is your bargaining ground. You can begin to barter with God. Joyce Meyer stated, when you give to her ministry, of course, you get a receipt in heaven so that you can go to God with your receipt and tell God that you're cashing in your receipt and God owes you. This is the prosperity gospel. Cephalo Dollar, he said, if I want to believe God for a $65 million airplane, nobody can stop me. Preachers like that are certainly not sent by God. T.D. Jakes calls God his business partner. He said he started giving to God so that God would be in debt to owe him. Now, when we come to the end of the story of Job, you'll find that Job did not call God his business partner. He fell prostrate before God and said, I am vile. He humbled himself before God. Joel Osteen's another. It's the last one I'll quote. And he has over 35 books. The first book that he wrote was Your Best Life Now. Try giving that to Job and asking him to read that one. While he's scraping his sores and living in the dust and ashes, he is childless. He is lonely. He is in pain and suffering. And someone's trying to tell him, this is your best life now? No, no, that's not the gospel message. We are a people who, in the midst of our suffering in this fallen, wicked world, are waiting for the appearing and the coming of our Savior, who will give us new bodies. He will heal our bodies. He will change all our situations, and we will live for eternity in His presence to praise Him. Now, there's one more guy I need to talk about, and that's Elihu. He's not called one of Job's three friends. He is a bit more of a stranger, I think. Not too sure where he came from, but he was young. He's the young guy. And we discover that he's the angry guy. If you go to chapter 34, uh, you'll find some of his statements. 
chapter 34, verse 17. <clears throat> well, let, let's, let's start at verse 2. Uh, we've called him the angry guy. And you'll see the word wrath coming up, verse 2. And he said, Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram against Job, was his wrath kindled. Because, and he, why he was angry. Because Job said, I haven't sinned. He justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath. So this young guy, Elihu, he was angry at everybody. He wasn't happy with Job. And he wasn't happy with the other three friends because they weren't getting the answers. And Elihu, this young guy, he comes into the midst and he wants to give his two cents worth. And his motive is not right. His spirit is not right. If you look at chapter 2, 32, 19, you'll see that he describes himself as a casket of wine ready to burst. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. <laughs> what, what fit state is this man in to be an advisor to anybody? He was bursting with frustration. And yet he wanted to talk to Job to console him, supposedly. Now, what was Elihu's problem? We have said the other three friends, they all brought in, bought in one way or another to the prosperity gospel. What was Elihu's problem? Well, let's look at verse 17 in chapter 34. Shall even he that hateth right govern? And wilt thou condemn him that is most just? Elihu objected to Job's claims that Job was righteous. Because in Elihu's mind, if Job is righteous, then God is wicked. Because how can a good God and a righteous God bring calamity upon a good person? That was his problem. And if God can do that to Job, he could do it to me. And Elihu was mightily upset. And all of that for Elihu was too much. Let's go to verse 10 in chapter 34. And he said to Job, Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. For the work of a man shall he render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly. The argument in Elihu's mind was, if Job is good, how can God be good? And that's a problem. That's a problem. Especially if you don't understand the experiment that's going on. And Elihu insisted that Job was telling lies, covering up something. And it seemed so pious. It seemed so holy. It seemed that he was in the upper stratosphere of all these other advisors and of Job himself applying this manner of thinking. And his logic, according to his own mind, was either one or the other. Either Job is a sinner or God is wicked. And you know what? Job never had to answer Elihu because God stepped in. And God began to speak out of a whirlwind. And in chapter 38, verses 1 and 2, you have the Lord answering now. Isn't it good to be on the Lord's side? Isn't it good that whenever your enemies come against you, that the Lord answers for you? Chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words 
without knowledge. That's Elihu, that is. Who is this Elihu who darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? And God gave the answer. Job didn't even need to defend himself. What a story. What an amazing story. A story that should be the greatest encouragement to you today. That no matter what the questions and the things that don't seem to add up in this world, God has the answer, and God will speak. Now, that brings us to a story of a man surrendering his testimony to God. Now, I had already made an an allusion to that earlier on. Am I saying that properly? He had already alluded to that earlier on. When he made that great statement, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's a powerful statement of personal faith and trust. One of our men in our Malvern Church in Pennsylvania, for a number of years, battled very serious cancer. In mercy, the Lord has spared him. But while he was in the hospital battling cancer, he had that text above the head of his bed, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There's a man surrendering his testimony unto God. Now, at the end of the story of Job, chapter 42, we're coming to the last chapter now, and we see chapter 42, verses 1 to 6, and we've got to read it to get the conclusion here. And after all that his friend said, and all that Elihu said, and all that God said, chapter 42, 1, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, and I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. The key to this, I have heard thee with the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. There was now a cloud lifted, and clarity was given to Job, and he saw God. He saw his majesty, and he fell at his feet, prostrate, abhorred himself. Now, all of this was after four chapters of God speaking, chapter 38, 39, 41. And in those four chapters, Dr. Henry Morris has counted that there are 77 questions. Most of them are rhetorical. The kind of question you would give to your child where you would say, am I bigger than you? There's only one answer to it. And I noted that in those questions, 16 of them begin with who. This is chapters 38, 9, 40, 41. And it does with creation. Who is the God of the lightning storm? By the way, that's what a whirlwind is. It's a lightning storm. And just like when Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai, when there were thunderings and lightnings, and God was speaking to Moses, here is God in the whirlwind, the thunderstorm, and he's speaking to Job and his friend. And the question is, who is the God of the lightning storm? 
Who is the God of light and darkness? Who is the God of the snow, the wind, the ice, and the hail? Who is the God of the rain? Who is the God who created the stars, Arcturus, Pleiades? Who is the God who set the arch over the horizon of the seas? And then in chapter 40, who created this land monster called Behemoth? In chapter 41, the sea monster, Leviathan. Job, what do you know about these things? Nothing. Can you not trust the God who has created all of these things to know what he's doing? That's what brought Job to surrender his testimony. And so in the troubles of this world, the question is not why. The question is who. Who is there controlling? Who is there directing all of these things? And as I said earlier, Job never did get answers to why he had to suffer so much. He never got an answer. But he discovered the majesty of God over creation and himself. What we need today is to see the majesty in creation, in his church, and in our own personal. And so the lesson of the book is to surrender to the God of majesty. And the question is not why, but who. And as Bible-believing Christians, if we do not surrender to God's majesty, we cannot find the rest, the gospel rest of Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love God, according to His purpose. If you don't get to where Joel was brought to, Romans 8, 28 will not help you. But if you surrender your testimony, put yourself on the altar with God, then you will know that all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the call according to His purpose. The Christian can say this. And Job, after a long, hard battle, was brought into the enjoyment of it. Finally, this is the story of a man testifying to the mercy of God. The closing chapter reveals God's goodness to Job. In verse 10, it says, chapter 42, The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. Now, that was a wonderful vindication for Job. But it's also a wonderful statement of God's goodness. And I hope you, you're satisfied now. I hope you, your problem has been settled now. You've no need to be bitter. You can let all that gas out of your wine casket. You've no need to be pent up with what God is doing. Because God is good. And God is merciful. Now, we could read all the commentators and we could get all the opinions of what this meant in the end for Job. But I'm going to lean today on the Apostle James, chapter 511, who makes a wonderful statement about the patience of Job. We're back to my original question. Who here has displayed the patience of Job? What does that mean in a Christian's life? Let's go to James 5 and verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. And so we have a New Testament 
reference to Job, this man who went through such deep, deep trial. He became a, a renowned figure in future history. There was not a generation that would not have learned or learned about Job. And now he becomes an outstanding example for James when he's writing this epistle, and he comes up with this testimony of Job, and he says, you have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. Now, end there means the purpose. It's the telos, the purpose of the Lord. And what do we learn about the Lord? You see, the book of Job is really about the God of Job. The story of this man's testimony is really the story of the God who made a good man better, and in doing so, displayed God's own character. What does that look like? It says here in verse 11 that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. After all the bitter things that were thought and said, after all the counsel of these men that came with their notions of prosperity things, and of Elihu, of his purity and justice arguments, the big lesson, the big takeaway from the story of Job is that the Lord is full of great compassion. The term used here for pity is abounding in compassion and of tender mercy. And of course, Job's life was turned around. He got double everything. It's the first reference I know of, of crowdfunding, where his friends got together and they gave him pieces of silver and gold, and he built up his resources, and he became a businessman again and prospered for 140 years. And then what? He died. Every Christian faces death. Even Job had to face death, not as a part of this experiment, but because he was living in a fallen, sinful world. And death is the lot of every child of God, but he died with a testimony. He died with a testimony. And that's our goal, that we die with the statement, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And there's the prosperity. There are the riches, the eternal riches, the riches of glory, the riches of living in the presence of a gracious, good, and merciful God. And when the story is told, your testimony book will be a record of God's unending, unfailing mercies to you, even in your darkest hour. When others might have thought God is against you, the record will show that even then, God was working for good in pity and mercy to give you that glorious hope. Now, Job's way of saying that came up earlier in the book. I didn't get into it, so I'm going to close with this text. I'm going to quote a verse, and I'm stopping the preaching. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. That's all we need. I wish I could preach it, but it's over. I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and at the latter day on the earth shall stand. Hallelujah. What a Savior. May the Lord bless His Word. Let's turn to our hymn book in closing today to the hymn 55. Hymn 55. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Number 55.
listening to Let the Bible Speak and this whole story of Job. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher. I hope that we can learn from this. This is the story of the God of Job, God at work in the earth. And you need to know that God is at work in the earth. He has not sat back, he is not sitting back, folding his arms, letting the world go by. God is working in the world, in the individual lives of men and women, the wicked and the righteous. And as you live for God, God is working to give you a testimony, a testimony for his glory and of your faithfulness unto him. And that's what the Christian life is all about. We become disciples of the Lord Jesus. We trust him for salvation. We trust him for eternity. And then we trust him for the journey between here and glory itself. And we know that the Lord Jesus one day will present us before the Father spotless, without blemish, and he will keep us. He has promised that we are kept until that day of glory by his own keeping power. And this is a tremendous reassurance to every one of his people. We can take this to the bank and rest that this is God's grace at work in our own lives. And so in your darkest hour, in your most difficult problem of life, the question is not, why is this happening? The question is, who is doing this and who is exalted at the end of this? And that's the paramount life of the Christian, living for Jesus living for his glory. Man's chief end is to glorify God, and thereby we enjoy him forever. There is no joy in rebellion. There's no joy in following the paths of sin, or as Job's wife exhorted, curse God and die. That would be just to throw the towel in, and you don't just choose death and go the way of rebellion. You face the issues of the day. You trust God to carry you through, and you believe that there is grace and help for every situation in life. The Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. And if you look at the life of Job, and as we have told the story and seen the end of Job, and how God has given him that testimony, the patience of Job, the steadfastness of Job in the midst of horrible trials. And that is the test. And we need that testimony that we're trusting God no matter what. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. May God give you that personal testimony. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website, 
at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today and be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5am and 5pm and on Sundays at 9.30am on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.